The text of the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which you heard earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we read this text of Jesus at the age of 12 years old, he's in Jerusalem according to custom for the Passover. That's what his family did. And his parents lose track of him. Any parent ever had that experience of losing track of their children, even for a moment or two? Well, this is what they experience. And it's during Passover, which is a time when literally hundreds of thousands of people would be in the city of Jerusalem. So you could imagine the panic as they're trying to track him down. One might, might want to wonder, though, why didn't they just go back to the temple in the first place? Why was it that the first place they looked for him? I mean, after all, that's where the Passover at events happen. Why not go there first? And I'd argue that this is prop it's a case of the curse of familiarity. When you become really familiar with someone, you begin to forget or begin to be unable to see fully who they are. And this is something that we find happens in the life of Jesus. See, if you've ever noticed in the scriptures, the life of Jesus, there's a huge chunk of his life that there is no record of of him doing anything. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't do anything. It's just we don't have record. So from when you just heard a little bit ago, the, the visit of the Magi, all the way till the age of 12, which we just heard, and then the next time you hear anything about Jesus is when he's baptized around the age of 30. So that's about 30 years of, and only one event recorded. And that's this one right here. And the people might have wondered, why not? Why not record more? Well, as it says in the Gospel of John, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What it means is that God, that Jesus, who is indeed God, became human like you in every sense of the word. So which means those first 30 years of his life were so uneventful, there was no need to write about it. It's the same reason why no one is going to write down a book for 2,000 years from now to read about when you went to the grocery store this week. Probably not worth reading. Wondering what kind of cereal you picked out. That's how normal his life was. And it was so normal that at the age of 12, even though he had this incredible, miraculous birth and all these miraculous experiences, it had been 12 years, 365 days each of those years that Mary and Joseph had been with Jesus. Even though they haven't really forgotten what happened, by no doubt it would push, be pushed into the back of their mind and they might have forgot, began to not think about who 
he is. Even though they see him every day, they didn't truly see who he is. And this would be the case for Jesus throughout his ministry. When he would be, after he was baptized, the very first group of people to reject Jesus was Nazareth, his own hometown. He stood up before them, read from Isaiah, and he said to them that this is fulfilled in your hearing. And what did they say? Is this not the son of Joseph, the carpenter who we know, and his brothers and sisters we know? They could not acknowledge him. We even know that the, his own brothers, Jesus' brothers and sisters, thought that Jesus was a madman. It wasn't until he rose from the dead that they actually believed he was who he was. And let's be honest, if you had a sibling who never, ever sinned, imagine how tough that's got to be. You can't pin anything you did on him. They're like, he doesn't sin, we know he didn't do it. Imagine that pressure. And so they did not like him. When he rose from the dead, then they changed their tune. This is actually kind of one of the reasons why, as a rule, they don't send pastors to their home church. And the reason they do this is because they know that almost every church has a few members who have been there 60, 70 years, and they remember every last moment of that pastor, and they'll be like, I remember when you destroyed the bathroom that one time during Sunday school while you're standing up there preaching or something. That's why they don't send you there. It's the curse of familiarity. And see, this curse of familiarity, it is something that falls upon us when it comes to the divine service, when it comes to worship. If you want to know a way to see where, how this plays out, today we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. Friday we had the Lord's Supper for, New Year, for the New Year's Eve service. We celebrated the Lord's Supper for Christmas Day. And we celebrated the Lord's Supper the Sunday before that. That means we've had three weekends in a row where we've had the Lord's Supper available. There are some that would argue, well, that is too much. If we have the Lord's Supper too much, it will no longer be special. This is usually one of the greatest arguments against weekly communion. By the way, if you ever wonder if Luther was okay, liked weekly communion, he said if he had it his way, we would have it every day. He didn't think weekly was even enough. But, but that is an argument often, is it won't be special anymore. The problem is when we say that, we show we don't think it's special very much anyways. It shows that we have become so familiar with the meal that we have not really began, we have forgotten the wonders that it is. Or another common argument against when we have the Lord's Supper, well, that means worship is just going to go longer. We like having that occasional service that goes the 45, 50 minutes. This too, the curse of familiarity. Last 
On December 24th, we gathered for Christmas Eve. At the heart of the message of Christmas is that God, and so we talk about God, I've used this illustration before, and VBS, Sunday School, whatever, youth, they've seen me. Right now, it looks like I am touching this pulpit. But if you were to take a super-powered microscope, you would be able to zoom in and see that I am not touching it. In fact, I am incapable of touching the pulpit. There's a very fancy word for describing this little phenomenon. I don't remember it. I'd have to go Google it again to find the word. But you cannot actually touch anything. What actually happens is what it feels like you're touching what actually is happening is the molecules in your finger are spreading, and the molecules in the wood, which are denser, but they are spreading as well. And so it feels like you're touching it, but actually what you are feeling is the movement of your, the molecules in your finger. And if, you were to, if I were to punch the pulpit really hard, because it's denser, I'll probably have a broken hand and bloody hand, and the pulpit will probably be okay. Why? because it's more dense. Now think about how tiny all of those little itty-bitty molecules are. God creates and sustains every last little itty-bitty one of them. And every molecule all around this church, throughout this community, throughout this world, he, create, he sustains everything in this planet and all the planets in our solar system including the sun and the moons that are in our solar system. He sustains all of the stars, from the biggest to the smallest, and everything in between. That is our God who spoke all of that into existence and sustains all of it. And that God became human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, laid in that manger. And he went to the cross for you and for me. He is the one who you gather to worship. The reason why when you approach the altar, you bow, is because you are come, you, it's acknowledgement that you are coming into the presence of a holy and righteous God. And that we are not. We are sinful. We are creation. We become so familiar with what, we ha what happens on Sunday. We forget that that is what's happening every time you are here. You are gathering in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And if we don't like that it goes a little bit extra, imagine if somebody said that, I spent an extra 15 minutes with my favorite celebrity. That was the worst thing in my life. But we hear, I spent an extra 15 minutes with the holy and righteous God, the creator of the universe. I am upset. See how familiar we have become? Or even more, and when we say that we can receive this too much, the one who was in the manger, the one who spoke everything into existence, when you, that bread is laid in your hand, that is the body of God in the flesh. When you take this wine and you drink of it, 
That is the blood of God in the flesh. Given to you for the forgiveness of sins. How could we ever receive that too much? Instead, we should be humbled that we receive it at all. That's why one of the hymns we're going to sing during communion, it begins with those words, let all mortal flesh keep silence. If we ever actually began to ponder and break through that familiarity and remember what happens when we gather, it would leave us silent. Because we are in the presence of a holy and righteous God. Now sometimes what we do to solve this problem of familiarity is we decide we need to dress it up. What we need to do is, the problem is, is that, yeah, we got God's word, but the packaging isn't quite right. So what we need to do is we need to really flat, get it really flashy and really awesome. What we really need to do is we need to start getting laser shows going, get smoke machines. That's things that happens in some churches. And those churches are filled to the brim. But you'll find in these congregations, they're always trying to one-up themselves. They're always trying to do better than the week before because they don't want anyone to no longer have that experience. They are convinced that unless they have an experience, unless they have an emotional reaction, it must not be truly worship. But the problem is, is that they're not really reacting to the word of God. They're reacting to the packaging. They're reacting to the manipulation. It's kind of like I was watching an interesting video where this um, television writer was talking about the purpose of laugh track. And he was talking about, people said, you know what? I cannot stand laugh tracks in TV. Well, they've actually done studies and they found that when there is a laugh track, people laugh more than when there isn't one. People will pay more attention to the show. And so the laugh track, they know if they give that little thing, they can manipulate you to think something is funnier than it really is. And so some will do that, take that same movement within the church. When I graduated from high school, I graduated from Ankeny in 2001. And after I graduated, I started going to a group called Impact. It was a college ministry to Des Moines Area Community College in Ankeny. And so I went to their, their events, and I was really engaged by many of the things that they were doing. But one of the things I remember was having a conversation with the pastor. He told me about how he grew up in the Methodist church. And he told me how he had he'd gone to the church and he'd gone through all the motions and he never really felt anything. And he said he realized that he was never really saved. It wasn't until he started going to this Baptist church that he was finally truly saved. And he felt God, the emotions that God wanted him to feel. And at the time, I did not have good theological training. And so at that time, I was convinced that unless I had the right emotions, worship is not really worship. 
And so I was in those high emotions week after week. And, but I remember one day I came to church and I just didn't feel much of anything. It was one of those blah mornings. Just about anything, I don't know if anything could have happened to what gotten me fired up. It was just one of those days. You know those days. I came into church and I didn't feel anything through the whole service. And I was convinced that I was no longer saved because I did not feel it. And that is the consequence of what the devil wants us to believe, that we have to be feeling it. But see, here's the thing. When Mary and Joseph were trying to find Jesus, and they did not know to look in the temple, when they were looking for him like he was a normal, everyday child, just because for that moment they saw him as a normal, everyday child, that does not mean he ceased to be the Christ. He is still the Christ, whether they, they were thinking that way or not. Similarly, when you come to the, this worship service, when you come to church, whether you are in the motions, whether you're in the mood, whether your mind is where it needs to be, God's word never returns void. It is always doing its work in you whether you feel it or not. The scriptures never promise you that you can feel the spirit moving. That is, that is what we call mysticism. It's a heresy that the church has been combating for a good 700, 1,700 years. You can't feel the Holy Spirit. You can't feel more spiritual. Your emotions might be moved by the music. It might be moved because you ate a certain type of food and you're just feeling in good spirits. That is not how our God works. He works whether you feel it or not. His word is working in you whether you are having that reaction or not. Like going back to the Lord's Supper, if we think we could have it too much, that's like saying, you know what? I am only going to eat supper every 14 days. That's right, I'm going to only eat food once every 14 days, which I'm sure would be an interesting weight loss plan. But, and I'm sure when you got to that meal at the end of 14 days, you'd be like, man, this is so amazing. I haven't had food in two weeks. But how would that be for your health? So also, God's word Sure, you can hold it off for 14 days at a time or whatever time you want. You can hold off his word and sacrament for a certain amount of time. And yeah, it will be more special when you receive it. But what is it doing to your spiritual well-being? But when you eat food, if you eat food every day like most people do, is it not doing anything to you? Are you not being nourished? Of course you are. You're being nourished, you're receiving nutrients, etc., etc. So also, when you receive the word of God, whether you're feeling that high emotions, it is still nourishing you, still strengthening your faith, because that is the wonders of the means of grace. When you hear God's word, when you receive his sacrament, he, does, he is working in you, 
not because of you. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. Even when we are bogged down by the curse of familiarity, God's word, God's sacrament does its work. It strengthens you, it forgives you, and it carries you until his kingdom comes. And when that day comes, to him be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. As a note, what we're going to be doing for our creed is we're singing the hymn of the Father's Love Begotten. And the reason is, is because this is actually the oldest Christmas hymn in existence. It dates back to about the 4th century. It was the hymn that inspired the Nicene Creed. And so for that reason, we will be singing that. So we sing.